Welcome to How People Move People, a podcast about the impact that our words, art, stories, and lives have on each other. Each series journey unfolds in a sequence of six episodes. The first series titled Back and Forth is hosted by Kara Hagen, a New York City-based choreographer, professor, and mother who explores the influence of pop culture on the lives of Black girls from the 1990s to today. Guests range from poets and thought leaders to mom and daughter teams to an original fly girl from the Wayans Brothers hit 90s TV show, In Living Color. Hello, friends, and welcome to Back and Forth, a podcast about pop culture and the kinetic lives of Black girls. If you joined us for the first episode of the series, you'll remember that I spoke to author and scholar Dr. Damaris B. Hill about her book, Breath Better Spent, Living Black Girlhood. The book is a collection of poetry and prose that journeys through the author's experience of girlhood. Since that interview, I've been contemplating how children and young adults receive and internalize feedback from culture. As both a parent and an educator, I'm cognizant of the role my presence in the lives of young people plays in their development and their perceptions of themselves and the world. When it comes to my daughter especially, who was only three at the time of this recording, I find myself wondering what kinds of messages she'll be internalizing when she's older. What messages is she internalizing now? And what is my role in helping her navigate the information she encounters while also allowing her to have agency in what she chooses to watch, listen to, read, wear, and create? To help me answer these questions, I spoke with a mother and daughter. Raina Christian is 16 years old, an artist, and an aspiring medical professional. Raina is also on the spectrum. Tiffany Christian is Raina's mom, a teacher, and a lover of the arts. So this is a question for both of you. You can both answer however you like. And I want to know what you grew up listening to watching, reading, and how those things have influenced your way in the world from the way you dress to the way you dance and anything in between? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. (laughs) Um, I grew up listening to everything. We had a very eclectic music choice in our house. We listened to um, gospel music. We listened to pop music. We listened to country music. We listened to classical music. We listened to some of everything because we just enjoyed good music. Um, Same with my TV watching habits, partially because I grew up in a time where there was no cable. So we had three stations. So you watched what was on. So it might have been good times. It might have been Lawrence Welk. But I figured out a way to enjoy it because that is what was in front of me. And I think it did help me be more well-rounded in my taste. How it influenced me, I was never a trendy kid and I'm still not the trendy person. Um, So it it definitely did not influence how I moved, how I danced. I was the clumsy kid afraid to dance. So if anything, maybe it made me feel less adequate that I couldn't be like the people I saw. Um, It did not, I did not live in an environment that encouraged creativity 
and that kind of self-expression. Dance was something to be perfected and performed and not a, a mode of expression. So I did not dance much because I was not very good at it. Um, in terms of how I dressed, um, we were economically limited. So I saw those things, but I knew the reality of our situation. So I didn't seek to emulate it. I just kind of embraced what was at my fingertips and made the best of it. Um, so I did not get that deep into fashion and those types of trends because they just weren't economically accessible. I saw them, I understood them, but they were things that lived in the television and not in my real world. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Raina? Um, the only things I really remember growing up watching is um, Doctor Who, uh, Princess and the Frog, and Law and Order SVU. Uh, they didn't really influence me much except for Princess and the Frog because it was my favorite movie and that made me really want to be a chef. And with music, I mostly just listened to the soundtrack of Big River and to VeggieTales because I couldn't control the music. Um, But for books, I read mostly anything I thought was interesting, including a lot of stuff I probably shouldn't have read because... at the school I went to, Harden Park, they had this system where if the book had a red dot on it, you couldn't read it if you were in like the elementary school level. But I did anyway, and I had a bunch of nightmares because I would read a lot of horror novels that weren't meant for elementary schoolers. But all in all, they were really good books, so I don't really regret it. Wow. Great. I mean, I love horror too, so I'm there with you. So in terms of cues that you've taken from media about how you should perform girlhood or womanhood. What cues have you picked up on? And do you agree with all of those cues? And both of you can answer this question. Um, I don't think media has really influenced me on how I'm supposed to be a girl. I just don't like change. So I kind of just be doing whatever, like, was going on at the time like it's like oh braid your kid's hair it's be like okay I don't care (laughs) so I I tried to raise girls that were very comfortable being themselves Um, and Raina when faced with popular culture choices versus her own choices choices was very fond of saying but I'm still awesome but I'm still awesome Um, So she had a very strong sense of self. And we often used media as a point of comparison, as a launching point for discussions um, about why that didn't necessarily make sense in our lives or how that behavior was not the only behavior or the only option, um, how certain behaviors weren't necessarily productive. So I think a lot of times we use media as a counterexample as opposed to something to emulate in our discussions as a family. Yeah. And I'm going to let a little cat out of the bag here because all of your children are incredibly creative people. And you mentioned earlier on in our conversation that you felt like you couldn't take part in certain pieces of popular culture because you couldn't dance, because you didn't feel like you could emote the way that folks were emoting uh, when you saw them on television, for example. Can you talk a little bit more about how you fostered that creativity within your entire family? I always admired 
and and wanted to be creative. Once I became an adult, and it probably in college was when the transition started, I got a deeper understanding of what I produced was of quality because I produced it. And I started to value what I created for the sake of the creativity. So by the time I started having children, I knew that that was just an important part of self-expression that I wanted them to really enjoy and embrace. Part of it was because I was raised by my grandparents, who were children of the Depression, and they very much were focused on the practical, how can you get a job and make money? And we didn't have time for other things. I wanted to make time for the creative in my kids' life. That was very important. So we prioritized it. They needed an activity and an instrument, and voice was an instrument. So they did dance. They tried different instruments. Um, we road trips were karaoke time just because it was fun, and I wanted them to enjoy all those things that came to me much later in life. Mm. And so, Raina, having your parents, both your mom and your dad, as huge supporters of creativity and self-expression growing up, how do you think that that prepared you for the adulthood that's coming for you very soon? Um, I've Well, I've tried a lot of different things. Like, um, I've done dance. I've tried different instruments. I've done art. I've tried uh, jewelry making. I tried different types of jewelry making. So I, it makes me sort of a well-rounded person. So, and also like I've had support when I kind of was thinking about what I wanted to do, like uh, when I really wanted to be a chef, mostly because of Princess and the Frog and uh, wanting to be an orthopedic surgeon and now wanting to go into biochemistry. I've had support for that. Amazing. So tell me what aspects of current media television, social media, et cetera, do you think has been most damaging to young girls like yourself? I would say mostly like social media in the sense that um, like cable's kind of fallen out of fashion, but like um, uh, in other individuals like who you look up to who are adults kind of like uh, clarify what is socially acceptable and, like, there's a lot of good things on social media, like uh, helping with self-expression, uh, discovering who you are as a person, but also because social media is, like, it's non-regulated. Anyone can say anything. And, like, um, people like Andrew Tate or, like, pickup artists, like, their whole thing is demeaning women. But because they're looked up to by, like, younger boys, the that, that can... Uh, I'm bad at talking, that can, like, be spread to how uh, younger girls feel about themselves from how others uh, say they should feel about themselves. Mm. And as a parent, what are some of the challenges, Tiffany, of making sure that all of your children are aware of some of these pitfalls of these spaces and how to navigate these spaces, especially in light of things like cyberbullying, for example? It's hard. Um... One thing, and I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, is that we haven't been extremely limiting on what they access. I mean, it needs to be age appropriate. You know, we don't have seven-year-olds watching pornography. That is not appropriate. But we want to teach them how to filter for themselves and make 
decisions about what is appropriate for them and what's not appropriate, what's feeding them and what's detracting from their lives. So we have a lot of conversations about decisions and why you should choose to watch something or why you should choose to change the channel. Uh, My kids are, are unusual in that regard because they would be fairly young and something would be on and they'd be Mommy, I I don't think this is appropriate. We should probably change the channel. But we wanted to encourage them to develop those lines for themselves and act accordingly. Because if I always made the decisions for them, they would never learn how to make them. So I really wanted to empower them to understand their values and then make those decisions And that response, you get more and more of that responsibility as you get older. But even when they were younger, we started out with as much as they were able to handle, letting them learn how to make those choices and discussing why they were good or bad choices so that they could be prepared for adulthood. Mm, Beautiful. And so, Raina, how have you felt empowered through that process with your family of being able to be exposed to things, but also being able to talk about it and make informed decisions? Um, well, kind of because I've always been able to like choose what I watch. I'm pretty good at knowing my limits when it comes of like, what's what I like will watch and be like, man, this is a cool thing. And what I can watch and be like, Oh, this, I will feel bad if I watch this. I don't want to watch this. Like, um, uh, because I really like horror. I, I like, I really like gore and stuff. But I'm also good at knowing, oh, this movie's way too gory. It's way too graphic. I will not watch this because it will just make me upset. So I've just had a good sense of knowing my limits. And she's also learned how to live out her values and her choices. We were just talking about the movie Woman King because I am dying to see it. And we were planning to see it together. And she said, I don't think I want to see it anymore. The tribe that they were talking about sold people into slavery regularly, and I just don't like that feel, and I don't think I want to see it. And I was like, okay, that's your choice. But the fact that she is thinking and exploring and then coming up with a stance based on fact and information and not just the wind, I love. We don't have to agree, but it's a solid stance to have, and she can explain to you exactly why she feels that way. And that's what you want to see as your children become adults. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really great point. And, you know, Raina, good on you for standing by your thoughts about things. So if The Woman King is not on your list of things to see or to read or to listen to, what is on your list coming up? What are you excited about? What do you want to see? What do you want to hear? What do you want to read? Uh, well, I really want to see, nope, I bought it on Amazon and I've <laughs> watched the beginning and so far it's really good. So I want to finish that because I couldn't see it when we were in, when it was in theaters because I work at the movie theater and they knew I was under 17 so they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> um, and as for books... I don't really know about like new books because I'm I'm not like searching out for new books. What how I figure out if like a book is good is like mostly based on what category it's put in. Because oddly, like fiction made for like middle schoolers is sometimes really good because they can't rely on like um, 
gore or sex scenes. So it has like really good plots, really good substance, which is one reason I think Goosebumps is like really underrated. It's really quality horror because they can't rely on gore. (laughs) When I was in seventh grade, Goosebumps was my jam. That's all I'm going to say. Goosebumps was my jam. Still is. I still love Goosebumps. How do you feel like young people can help shape conversations around media more broadly as a parent who has a child who helps you to think differently about media? I think so much of it is us shutting up and listening. They are having those conversations. They are putting the thoughts, they're putting the information out there, but we discredit it because they're children. And that's where we miss an opportunity Yes, she's 16. She's not technically an adult, but she's not five. Like she has a fully, you know, her brain is capable of some really high quality analysis and and critique. Mm, so beautiful. And obviously all of these things that you're talking about, Reina, about how you're uh, consuming media, how you're thinking about it. I mean, these are all really interesting ways to move through the world as a person who has really concrete ideas about what you want to watch, what you want to read, and why. Um, And so as a young person, what power do you feel like you have and your peers have to change the landscape, the media landscape, such that it reflects more of what you're interested in and the values that you hold as young people? Um, I think it's kind of spreading awareness to the older generation of of who don't really like know that much about social media and the popular influences on it about um how powerful they can actually be cuz like um the biggest creator I can think of is like Jake Paul. He's very popular with kids under 7, but like if you see any parents talk about like Jake Paul, they all say he's not appropriate for children. His content is not good for children. But like with a lot of the older generation, they don't really know about YouTube stars. And it's like, oh, that's kind of like a childish profession. So they don't really think about the influence he's having on children. So it's more of just like raising awareness to the older generation. Yeah, good point. I appreciate that. So as we wrap up our conversation today, is there anything else that either of you um, want the folks who are listening to know about your job as a parent or as a young person or some of the things that you feel will be important moving forward in terms of your relationship with media? I'm excited for what children your child's age will have because we are making progress and there are so many, the, the, the portrayal in media is so varied. There's not just one type of girl that we see in media now. There's so many more opportunities to see yourself somewhere, to find yourself somewhere in the media you're consuming. So I'm just so excited that that the times are changing and that it's expanding and that our young girls can look to media with a different eye because they can find things that speak to them and that they can emulate because there's so much more there. It's so much richer than it was. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Uh, So much wisdom, so many pearls, so many gems. Um, And I can't wait to share this with everyone. Thank you so much. And that's today's episode. 
Join me next time, where I sit down with Dr. Julie Johnson, Chair of Dance and Performance at Spelman College. How People Move People is brought to you by the National Center for Choreography at the University of Akron, or NCC Akron. This podcast is produced by Jennifer Edwards. James Sleeman is our editor. Theme music by Ellis Rovin. Transcription by Arushi Singh. Cover art by Micah Krauss. I am Dakri Baptiste, Vice President and COO at the Orpheum Theater Group in Memphis, Tennessee, and a proud NCC Akron board member. Special thanks to the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation for their continued support of NCC Akron programming like this. To learn more about NCC Akron, please visit us at nccakron.org and follow us on Instagram or Facebook at NCC Akron. We hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform by searching for How People Move People. <laughs>